ButcherBox makes it easy and convenient to get the highest quality grass-fed, grass-finished beef, organic free-range chicken, heritage breed pork, and wild-caught seafood without any antibiotics or added hormones delivered straight to your door. For me, I love their ribeye steak with a smoke and reverse sear, their tender belly bacon, which is some of the best uncured bacon on planet Earth. ButcherBox partners with people, small farmers included, that treat their animals in the best possible way and never give any added antibiotics or hormones. When you join, you choose your box and delivery frequency. You can cancel at any time without any penalty, and ButcherBox delivers amazing and fresh meat right to your door in a 100% recyclable box. For a limited time only, get free chicken nuggets for a year and 10% off your first box when you sign up today and use the code WP. That's a 22-ounce bag of gluten-free organic chicken nuggets in every order for a year when you sign up at butcherbox.com forward slash WP and use the code WP. Western Contours Podcast, sharing experiences, providing insight, and looking for solutions to become better hunters. We talk gear, on and off season preparation, tips and tactics, conservation, and finding inspiration in the outdoors as sportsmen and women. Thank you for joining us as we share our love for all things Western hunting. About to share this episode thanks to these fine companies I depend on in the field. Game Changer Calls. The GC was designed with all hunting callers in mind. Though elk is the intended target, the unique size is a game-changing tool for turkey and coyote callers as well. It is not designed to replace your tube or open reads, but rather to complement the caller's repertoire in the field. Vortex Optics. Proudly made in the USA, Hoffman Boots. If you're heading to the backcountry and you need some meals that won't bog you down, check out SasquatchFuel.com. 100% compostable packaging was designed to combat litter in the backcountry. For more information on conservation in action, head over to SasquatchFuel.com. Titanium Archery Products. Dedicated archers deserve truly unique products that provide all the performance attributes that they demand, and that's exactly what TAP delivers. For more brands we run and trust, jump on westerncontours.com partners page. Look for the code Western Contours and save a few dollars off your order. So we're on with Mr. Dirk Durham. Uh, can't say that I'm not honored. Um, I've kind of... Uh, Googled you from a distance up at Hoodoo last year, and then uh, when uh, you guys were walking by us at the Utah show this year, you had a random dude say, I love you, Dirk Durham. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, man, I gotta say it's an honor. Weird. <laughs> an honor I'm not to, used to that. <laughs> get My you wife on the podcast. Even say that. <laughs> no, um, she does. <laughs> no, I'm just uh, happy to get you on the podcast, man, and kind of pick your brain. And I, you know, I usually start with the intro and all that, but if they don't know who Dirk Durham is, they're probably listening to the wrong platform since, uh, Elk drives me crazy, man, and I always talk about it. So, um, man, I I really like to just jump right into it, um, but I feel like that'd be a little bit overwhelming for my senses. Um, what you've been working on, man? What you've been doing? Um, you know, you're over at Phelps, constantly uh, pushing the red there, and I'd like to talk about that a little bit too. I'm going to give you some shit, but. <laughs> 
man, I've just been dealing with the COVID crisis, you know. Um, I'm fortunate enough to work from home. Um, my wife, not so much. She does hair. She's a, a beautician, if you will. And uh, so she got shut down for a long time. Um, and she's just finally able to go back to work. So that was good. Um, where I live, seems like it's pretty rural here, you know. So there's a lot of essential workers, you know, going to work. And and it's kind of a weird time of year for some of them. It's, it's Loggerville, right? There's, there's loggers. That's the main source of uh, industry here. And a lot of those guys are off anyway because of spring breakup. So life in this area hasn't changed a lot. We don't, we don't have any COVID cases in our County. Um, one of the, one of the neighboring counties has had several, um, a lot of old folks, um, have passed away from it. But, uh, anyway, but back to what I've been doing, um, just, uh, working on content stuff, content creation, um, R and D where we got, we've got some really cool calls coming out in the next someday. <laughs> there we go. COVID COVID, I'm going to say it again. <laughs> yeah. COVID kind of shot us in the foot there too. Cause we had some stuff that we we're going to release this summer. And I just don't know that that's going to come to come to pass, man. I hope, but uh, we'll have some prototypes to run this fall for sure. And then, people will probably be able to get to see that when we share our films at the end of the year. So nice. So I don't want to get, yeah, I don't want to go down too, too far down the dark hole of uh, Phelps. This is uh, Dirk's podcast. Uh, yeah. Cause I'll get stuck on that mess. And man, I, you ain't no bringing me back from that. <laughs> so there's a lot to talk about. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, one of the things that before I hit record here, man, and, and, I shouldn't say people don't recognize it or realize it. Right. I know I appreciate it. Um, and not just from you, but, but a lot of the guys that are out there that are in that pro realm, the guys we look up to when it comes to elk hunting and hunting in general. Um, and one of the things that has always impressed me with you, um, is, you know, we we're talking about your talking about your Wyoming dink for the lack of a better word. Um, and the appreciation <laughs> for that animal. Um, and then that's what I was trying to remember earlier. No deep thoughts, just thinking about the pleasures and pains of elk hunting was that quote I was trying to remember um, that you had oh, posted. Yeah. And that's been some time too. And those are the little tidbits, man, that that just stand out to me. So I just think that stuff is cool. Um yeah, Thanks. that's that's besides the point. So <laughs> let's talk elk, man. That's what this is about. Um, I really want to get into your approach to elk hunting. Right. And and not so much an A to Z, but it's hard. And we were talking about my Wyoming experience and then getting my butt kicked um, every year after that. And man, there's so much. And I'm kind of going across the the bullets here, but there's so much information overload. Um, there ha there's some adapting that we need to do, but there has to be, you know, what's Dirk's solid approach. Every time I'm going in the woods, this is what I'm doing. I'm moving from A to Z on this before I do anything. Yeah. So I, I kind of look at elk hunting. I don't look at elk hunting like I'm a hunter typically. I look at, I kind of, I like to role play with the elk a little bit. Um, I kind of like to turn my, my elk brain on and, and uh, kind of get worked up and pissed off and 
try to fight the elk, you know, um, so to speak. Um, but over the years, you know, man, I've, I've been doing this since 1989. So I've learned a lot, you know, back then I didn't, I didn't have a whole, I didn't have really much for elk hunting mentors. You know, my dad had hunted elk years before, um, with a rifle, never hunted with a bow. He told me you couldn't kill an elk with a bow. That's just nonsense. Um, but I've always just, it's kind of a, a weird approach. I just, I just go out and enjoy it. You know, I, I, I try real hard and <laughs> it's, it seems kind of lame. I mean, it's not, that's not really sexy, but I just, I want to try real hard. I want to make the most of it. I don't want to have any regrets and I don't, I don't want to spend the rest of the year after September's over looking back saying, Oh man, I should have tried a little harder. I should have, I should have, Oh man, I should have went hunting one more time. I mean, I want to leave it all on the table. I want to take advantage of every minute that I have in the woods. And it's because I love it so much. So, um, that's, I guess that's one way to look at it. I mean, in my, novice experience right that's how i look at it that is to me that's the only approach um at the end i shouldn't say the only approach but that is the approach at the end of the day if you if you leave every no matter what we're chasing if you leave it on the mountain you can't look back at that regret and and the woulda coulda shouldas um that we all know we've all been there and i think that that is what breeds that into you um is just getting out there after it um so how do you that was too damn easy. That was like the perfect answer. <laughs> where did okay? So where does that lead you in? I guess the adaptation in the field, and and in those approaches. So what's crazy is I keep telling my buddies every year. I'm like, man, I'm getting older every year, and I keep going to these places that are harder to hunt and worse. <laughs> worse hunting conditions than I hunted when I was a younger man. Right. And that's, that's messed up. It should be the opposite. It should be as you get older and I'm no geezer by no means, but as you, as you get older, you should start hunting some of the more gentle or more gentle country. Uh, that's just not the case, but I think that's just kind of what elk hunting has evolved for, uh, or evolved to for me, <clears throat> hunted a lot of the front type country when I was a kid uh roaded areas you know easy hunting shoot we my brother and i we i don't even want to say it's an, Amer an embarrassing amount of bulls that we loaded whole in the back of the pickup before we ever packed one on our backs back in the old days because it was it was good hunting it was really good hunting and, and uh easy access to get them loaded but but then as hunting became became more difficult in those areas then found ourselves gravitating further towards the backcountry, and as as we did that we found way more reward i guess out of it so um he still likes to hunt the front country a lot but i i can't hardly do it i i'll take i'll go with other people but for me i want to get back to the backcountry for that adventure you know some of it's roadless some of it's not but it's usually pretty nasty gnarly steep and deep country that you never know what what may happen so i kind of so the adventure i guess really what what started that push right because and no 
I can't say I've been 18 miles in the backcountry chasing elk, right? I, I don't even think I could say I've been 12 miles in the backcountry chasing elk, five to seven. Right. Um, but there's nothing wrong with that elk off the road for the guys that that's their thing. But what started that push for you? Was that oh, something to do with pressure, more hunting, things like that? or? Yeah. Yeah. Hunting pressure. Um, we had the, we had the place to ourselves when we were young. Nobody, nobody hunted that front country. Everyone else was in the back country. That was I in Idaho's heyday when there was tons of elk in the back country. And that's where just, that's where everybody went. They had their big camps, you know, families would go and, you know, mom and dad and grandma and grandpa, everybody would go opening day rifle season. When I was a kid, they shut school down. Um, cause they knew nobody was going to show up to school. <laughs> so it, it was, you know, hunting was a way of life here and, you know, everybody went to the back country. Well, then as the, as the elk start numbers started getting lower and lower in the back country, and then maybe some people started finding out that there's, Oh, they're in this uh, lower country, this front type country. Uh, there's a lot of elk here. Then things kind of shifted to where there was kind of a changing of the guard. Everybody started kind of moving out of the back country towards the easy stuff. And we kind of migrated to the back country just to get away from the hunting pressure. Cause it was hard not to have Doug Flutie's on every corner. <laughs> so, and, that, and that's an interesting, an interesting contrast, I guess. Um, because now it's, everybody's wanting to dive in you know, I think it's all half of it's bullshit, right? Cause you get the 17, 18, 20 mile pack in guys. There's probably a few right. of them out there, but I think it's a lot less than, uh, we like to sound a lot bigger than we are. Um, yeah. You know, and everybody's There's jumping a lot of romance, deep. romance in that. Yeah. But I mean, and you know, it's, it's like the, you know, the bugling bull, at least for me, that was, you know, that's the sex appeal of it, right? You know, you that's what you think right. of is is back country and these bulls just screaming everywhere and you got, you know, ten bulls to choose from and they're all gonna run right into your ass uh as soon as you start <laughs> cow calling or challenge bugling or whatever. Um yeah. and it's just uh man how false <laughs> it's, yeah, that's false <laughs> it's all fucking lies man it's all lies um we uh we, we've hunted you know i've hunted depending on the state some places i'll hunt a mile or two or three from the the road or less um so like if i'm in wyoming or colorado we're going as far as bugles lead us so you know we may have a what 17 mile day in one day um round trip so it, you just never you never know how far it's going to lead you but even even those backcountry a long ways from the roads bulls they've been messed with they've been messed they get messed with every year i can say i would say some of these wilderness pack-in trips where you got to take a horse for 20 miles or something back in like the Bob Marshall wilderness. You're probably going to find some bulls that never been messed with that year. But, uh, a lot of this stuff, a lot of these bulls get, get uh, educated every year. Way too educated, man. So last year we were in Colorado and, uh, ah, we would do like probably, I think we were like seven, seven point three two miles average a day. And we weren't packing straight back, right? We're doing these loops in these areas that we had scouted and whatnot. And I'm gonna just give you the scenario because I wanna see, I wanna hear what 
you would have done where you think I could have went wrong. So I'd get these bulls and, and this is probably that information overload, right? As we get these scenarios, you listen to you, you listen to Paul, um, Michael, whoever it is, Elk 101, and you're listening to all this and you're, you're just constantly downloading this information and we get set in this, you know, with like Paul, right? The slow play. Um, but it doesn't, I guess the adaptability part for me was, I ignored it, right? Um, I get, we had these really faint bugles. I mean, really faint. You could barely hear them. It almost sounded like the Aspen tips were rubbing in the wind and you'd catch it. And uh, man, it was, (sighs) I'm almost embarrassed to say it was immediate like breeding sequence or start raking, you know, challenge bugle. And it's just like you, you, you get so wrapped in this information overload. Like you, you have no idea where you should be going with this. So, you know, I, I would bugle back real soft, faint. I was trying to mimic them and they would start raking. Well, then instead of mimicking again, I would go into shit. I did everything, man. I did like a, say I went into a breeding sequence. Um, right. And the bulls would hang around and they would rake. They would never bugle more than once. Once you heard them, that was it. Um, oh, yeah. And we'd sit there and, man, I'd ramp it up trying to get a response. And then, I mean, they'd, they'd hang around. I think we had four interactions and maybe, and I might be exaggerated, but I'm going to say 25 to 30 minutes that bull hung around. And we sat there doing the same shit, trying to run up and down these scenarios. What What would you do in an instance like that, I guess? How far were these elk away? Were they pretty close? Holy crap, man. So, yeah, and this is why I was kind of embarrassed. So, one, we were dominant. We were uphill, and and he was 40 yards um, down the hill. And the other was probably... I'm going to say 60 to 70 yards um, across a real small creek bottom on the other on the other hillside. Right. And they both responded the same way. I mean, damn near like it was the same bull. Yeah. How how far of a line of sight did they have? How far could they see before they seen another elk if they were trying to find an elk? The first one when we were dominant, probably. 35 yards and and then the hill broke like we were dominant and then you know we were back off the top of the hill a bit um and then the other one so he was gonna have to so he'd have to climb that hill to peek over to see you yes sir yep yep it's a tough gig because sometimes 60 percent of the time it works every time (laughs) old saying (laughs) um but it's kind of a tough gig because some of those bulls just want to hang up. They're not super aggressive. They're just, they're just kind of starting to feel their oats a little bit. I don't know. It's, it's almost sounds like it was early season, like really early, like this was mid. opening day type thing. No, this was oh, mid, mid, man. We were mid. I'm telling mid. you, we were wrapped into all the consumption of the media, man. We were there for wow. the equinox. Okay. and <laughs> Okay. Yeah. So, yeah. And there's could be a lot of things to consider. Maybe those bulls have been messed with the week before, you know, they'd been educated, but, um, sometimes it's, it's tough. Sometimes you got to kind of almost let them walk away and then take in after them again, kind of walk, let them walk away and let them get, let you reposition to where maybe you have a better, better line on them, maybe get down on their level. Um, maybe if, when you pursue, you pursue, pursue them, you become a little bit more aggressive than they have been. 
um, just to try to get them to come back and, and, and check you out. It's, it's tough, especially if it, bulls that have been educated a lot. Um, and if you're hunting an area that has had a lot of pressure, hunting pressure where, you know, maybe, maybe they've, there's been other guys blowing a call that sounds like yours, or, you know, maybe they really overdid it with cow calls or something that can make them kind of shy to those, those types of calls. So I, I always try to, to figure out, okay, what, what are a lot of these guys doing? I'm going to try to do something a little different. Um, and just, I start throwing stuff at the wall until something sticks, you know, maybe, maybe you've pulled every cat out of the bag and every, every trick out of your sleeve and, and nothing's working. I might, you know, just he's 40 yards. Well, he's not going to come. I'm just going to walk right up to him. As long as he can't see me until I get right on him, I'm just going to walk right up to him um, and see, see what happens. A lot of, sometimes they'll just show themselves. They'll, they'll walk out from the tree they're raking and pop out. They want to see you. Um, so you kind of got to sometimes think outside the box and do some un- unorthodox tricks. Yeah. And that was kind of my hindsight on that first one. And I think, <clears throat> excuse me, with that first one, it was the first evening we were there. Um, we had spent a little bit of time in the woods, went back to camp. One of the guys, for whatever reason, decided I'm not going to get my tag before we hit Colorado. And uh, we, we drive, what is it, 816 miles and never decides to stop at a Walmart to get a tag. Oh, <laughs> oh no. <laughs> Dang my boy pack in the woods, you know, and I said, oh, let's get back, you know, get him situated and we'll map out a game plan. We were actually up at camp when I heard him bugle and I'm like, oh, you know, grab your bow. Hindsight being what it was or what it is, I should have the wind was perfect. I mean, everything, everything, it was just a perfect scenario to have my boy slip around to the south, drop down onto his level and then come in on that bench. Um, But being that it was the first evening we were there. I felt like, okay, I don't need to get that aggressive. We got, you know, 16 days on the books to be here. And uh, right, damn, right. what a lesson, man, that, you know, we were kind of talking about your your Wyoming bull. And, you know, I'd take that bull on the first day type deal. You don't know if you're going to get that chance. And uh, yeah. man, oh, man, what a uh, what a kick in the kick in the nads. But again, I was tainted by. Wyoming I was tainted by my scout we were in I think that was June that we went in the first time to scout we were in bugles in June just up from where we base camped oh wow it was amazing cameras and you know and I don't man that's a that's a rough that was a rough trip um (laughs) well you know I was gonna say also if that bull was raking the whole time yeah, that's a that's a really great time, especially if you got a partner to send them, like you said, to start slipping in on that bowl. Um, you can you can continue to make your noise up where you're at to kind of keep them distracted while your partner sneaks in and shoots them. Um, sometimes a bull will stand for ten minutes in one spot and rake, you know, just depending on their demeanor and how they're if they're they're wanting to move or if they're just fine to rake. Some some of them just like to hang up and rake, and if you got that guy that can sneak up that's a time to put on your, your sneaky shoes. Most of the time I don't try to be too quiet when I'm elk hunting with during the rut, but, but that would be definitely a time to, to get real quiet and try to close that gap and, and maybe see if he'd show himself or maybe you just finally come upon him there. 
And then what, in that situation, what about the use of like a, a cow decoy or something like that? You know, like the, what is that? The Montana decoys or the butts? Is that something you'd slip in with? Or I know there's mixed yeah, you, opinions on that stuff, on those decoys. You can. Um, and I've used them before, but it seems like a lot of times, especially if it's fairly timbered country, a lot of times those things can't see those darn decoys until they're close enough to shoot if there's a lot of cover um anyway but sometimes if they can see it you know from 50 60 yards away you could maybe kind of uh flash it a little bit you could kind of show the whether you had like a heads up decoy or montana decoy you could show bits and pieces of it you know show some movement you know have an elk head pop out from behind a tree or a bush and move around a little bit and then hide it again um that that would probably make them a little bit inquisitive rather than just staking it to the ground and have a silhouette of an elk up there that just never moves. Um, but I do have, you know, I know guys that have staked a out and had really good luck with them. So you, you just never can tell. I've seen, I've seen guys put them up in front of themselves and kind of walk, make, you know, walk up towards elk. Or, I guess at some point, I guess at some point you kind of just have to wager that, well, I'm probably not going to get this bull anyway. I'm going to try something kind of crazy. And it, it may work, it may backfire, it may run off, but um, I'm going to do something. It's like kind of like taking the game to the bowl rather than kind of being passive, letting things kind of unravel. And they unravel fast. <laughs> they, <laughs> you know, they and I, I say that all the time now is that, you know, we do all this preparation and, and listening and, and learning. And uh, we know the plan when we're going in. The bull has zero clue that uh we have a plan <laughs> he's not on the yeah. same team <laughs> that uh <laughs> that the uh, the ability and i i don't think that that comes with anything but time in the woods and blowing opportunities on elk but the adaptability and understanding i don't know do you really understand how to play that situation right that amic that animal is is for the lack of a better word, so dynamic in its environment and how it moves through there and behaves. And that changes within, it seems like within hours, man, during that time of year. Um, yeah. Yeah. In the morning he could act one way in the evening, he could act in a complete, diff complete different way. Just, uh, there's a lot of things that kind of go to it. I think, you know, there's probably the ebb and the flow of testosterone. There's the ebb and the flow of how, horny that guy is and wants to breed um or you know maybe what what's happened previously in the day before maybe he got his butt whipped by another bull or maybe maybe some dude kind of spooked him off doing some similar tactics just you never know i feel at some point after you've hunted long enough you kind of get this gut feeling like ah, my gut tells me to do this i try to trust it most of the time um but it, it kind of takes a while to get to that, to that point. But after a few years, you know, two or three, even two or three years, you start getting those little gut feelings. I think that eh, this happened last time, or I've been in a simple, similar situation. I'm going to, let me just try this or that. I think, I think some guys kind of get hung up that they had this golden opportunity or they got really, really close and, and dang it, it didn't work out, man. They must've really done something wrong. But a lot of times, you do everything right and it still just doesn't work out. You know, it, it may be, you may get a shot at a bull one out of every 10. Um, people on, on 
TV and YouTube and we make it look easy, but, and there's a lot of gap gaps in between success and the beginning of the hunt. Um, yeah, I may hear 10 or 12 bulls bugle before I ever get one called in close. Sometimes not, sometimes you get lucky and you have one come right in, but so, but kind of knowing that in the back of your head kind of gives you a little bit of confidence. It's like, okay, I'm going to (laughs) struggle. I got lots of struggles before I I succeed here. So it's okay if it didn't, if it didn't pan out, I'm going to just keep on trying. So I think that's a a good way to look at it. And and it kind of keeps you in the good spirits too. So you don't get bummed out and go home to mow the lawn. So what, what do you do in that instance, right? And, and correct me if I'm wrong, but you're, you know, you're pounding ridges and, and, you know, screaming out, looking for that response. What do you do in that scenario where you go in there and they're virtually silent? What's, what's the approach when you get into that situation? Well, me in my selfish ways of hunting, I want, I want to hear bugles. So if I'm not hearing bugles, I'm just, I'm going, I'm keeping going. Let's say we've hunted that whole area out, haven't heard no bugles. We're pulling out that night and going somewhere else the next day. Now, <laughs> that's just, and that's probably a dumb way to hunt because, you know, there's a lot of guys who'd be like, well, there's elk in there. I'm going to, I'm going to sniff those things out and, and get one, which there's a lot of guys that do that. Um, so sometimes, you know, let's say you re- you're committed to the spot. You really want to, you really want to make this work elk are not talking a lot you know you can do you can do those you know cold calling setups to where you start out just with a few cow calls and then you slowly escalate things over the next 30 minutes or so to where somewhere in there you introduce a bull bugle um some raking um and then you know as it as 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 you're introducing characters to this imaginary scene you know, things escalate, you know, you're putting a little bit more emotion into the calls to where finally at the end, you're, you're really ripping on some big old bugles, you know, blowing, um, blowing some big nasty lip balls and making super excited cow calls. And every, I think everybody has their own little idea what they call it. I just call it cold calling or whatever, but, and then you kind of sit tight for, for 30 minutes to an hour afterwards but right after I'm done calling, I'll, I'll sneak off maybe 10, 20 yards below downwind of my position, just downwind of it. Just because if a bull does come in, he's going to be looking right where you were standing earlier. So if you can be a little bit, yeah, if you can be in a little different position, um, and, and downwind, if they try to circle downwind, you might get that, you might get that shot or he comes in, he's not immediately fixated on you. And, maybe you'll get a chance to draw on them. It's tough because usually a lot of times those bulls will come, come sneaking in, um, seen them come trotting in before too, but you just, you never can tell, but you just got to be on alert. Some, some guys will do that and then they'll get tired and eh, I'm going to sit on a log or eh, I'm going to kneel down here. Or, you, you just can't, you got to be dealt. I don't, I don't kneel when I hunt, like trying to get set up for a shot. I, I'm always standing cause I don't want to have, my leg go to sleep or maybe the bull comes over just out of my off to my side too far and I can't turn while I'm on my knees. So I want to be standing in a, in a spot where I've cleared out the, the pine needles and sticks and brush out from under my feet to where I can quietly, you know, pivot. That's, 
that's a hard thing to do, right? Is is and I think that that's that I want it now type thing. When we talk about the sex appeal of elk hunting and bugling, is that expectation that you know I'm going to bugle here and. To wait an hour, that you might as well tell me I gotta wait eight hours, man. It's uh I don't oh, I'm brutal. probably the most patient deer hunter in the world. <laughs> I could sit in glass for hours. You put me in the elk woods, man, and trying to remain remain composed enough to sit in a spot. I'm gonna say I, I 20 minutes, 30 minutes, but, and that's, and I think that's part of the misconceptions, right? Is, and and then you're saying it too. Like, if I don't hear those bugles, I'm out. Um, I think that patience takes years, just like the other things you're, you know, you're talking about take years. It's hard yeah. to get by. It's hard, 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 man, to get to that mindset when it comes to elk. Yeah. yeah I'm, 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 my patients are <laughs> very thin. <laughs> I can't, I can't sit, I can't stand still too long and, you know, I can take a break or I can take a nap or I can stop and eat lunch. But man, if I have to do a cold call, it's tough. It's really tough. Especially you got to be on stealth mode for during the whole time you're calling. And then plus the 30 minutes to an hour afterwards. So you're there, you know, you're there an hour and a half, maybe. Um, and that's, that's a lot of being quiet, standing still. Um, my my mind likes to wander a little bit and pretty soon I'm not paying attention. So I have to, I got a short attention span. I gotta, I gotta keep moving. And I actually, I'm, I'm happy to hear you say that. <laughs> Cause you know, you find yourselves, you find yourself in that dilemma, like, okay, you know, uh, what would Dirk do? Right. Is Dirk going to bugle and roll, um, you know, sitting there and, 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 you know, exuding that amount of patience, man, I'm, I shouldn't say I'm glad to hear you struggle with it, but, uh, yeah, it makes me feel a little bit better about my situation out there. Yeah. But I'm with you, man, deer hunting. I'm, I'll sit there. I'm super patient. I'm like, wait, I, that's a complete Jekyll and Hyde then, you know, cause I'll, I don't know why that is, but I can sit there for two hours motionless waiting for a deer to pop out or whatever. So I don't know. It's kind of, kind of weird. That's kind of yes, weird. That, I'm telling you, man, it's the sex appeal <laughs> of that damn bugle. I, I can't, I want to relive my, my moments in Wyoming, man, where we walked in and that, and that is where I, where it jacked me all up. And I didn't realize it until this year is you walk in the woods. Shit. When I pulled up to my camp, as soon as I opened the door of the vehicle, I could hear bulls bugling. And it yeah. was just like kid in a candy store, right? Like, okay, they might be a half mile, three quarters of a mile off, but I'm in heaven. Like, this is perfect. And then to go in the woods <laughs> the next morning. And as soon as the sun cracks, I mean, you're five, six screaming bulls down in this drainage. And uh, yeah. that was that was my mindset. Like that was my expectation. And then to go in and have the exact opposite and just silence and win and just be plagued with everything on the opposite side of that scenario. Um, and then learning how to adapt to it. It was, it's just something that I, I think a lot of people aren't ready for. Yeah. There's a lot of failure. Um, and I think, today everything's the instant gratification right everything i mean i, I i'm even bad for it. i'm sitting at home and i want to watch a youtube video and i got horrible internet service and if i can't if i can't just watch it immediately i get frustrated like ah heck with it turn it off 
but it's that it's that instant gratification but you have to know like i just i know inside my head on on elk hunting that um i'm gonna i'm gonna fail i'm gonna continue to suck for the whole time i'm at the spot until i don't um i always kind of say it's kind of like a flip of a switch i've hunted before where i've gone six five days six days without hearing a bugle and then all of a sudden something's changed flip of the switch whether it's barometric pressure whether it's some bull testosterone got out of whack maybe a cow just got in heat i don't know what happened but something flipped a switch and where you would have swore there was no elk before now they're bugling and then then there's there's bulls to chase but just knowing that you're going to have a lot of suck before it's good um that's you just have to know it and just just keep thinking okay well the more days it sucks, this the closer we're getting to success. <laughs> <laughs> and that's, I mean, those the 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 pains are as valuable as, I guess, those pleasures, right? When we're when we're yeah. out there, right? If we're looking at them like that, um, I like the suffering part of it. God damn it, I want an elk, but I really enjoy the suffering and the work that goes into it. I yeah. lose sight of it just like everybody else. But at the end of the day, if you, you know, it sucks. I, I'm not going to BS it. It sucks to drive 800 miles with an unnotched tag, um, you know, putting all your eggs in one basket, but there's something about paying the price that makes it worth it. Even on that unnotched tag. Oh yeah. Yeah. Every bit of it. I've, I've always said, if I can't, if my hunt doesn't have, you know, the highest of highs and the lowest of lows and then highest of, I mean, if it's not a roller coaster, it hasn't been a real great elk hunt, you know, if it's just been pretty good the whole way or, or just super awesome tagging out on the first day, this is going to sound stupid or conceited, but I don't want it to, but man, tagging out on the first day, that sounds like the worst thing for me ever because I'm there to enjoy every minute of the time I have off. Um, now if I'm hunting with a big group of guys, that's fine. I I won't be selfish. You know, I'm, I'm going to shoot one on the first day. If, if I am, if I'm presented that opportunity that way they can, you know, I can help them try to, to get one too. Cause that in the end, I want, I want those guys to be as successful as me or, or more so, but, uh, but I want, I want to enjoy and, and all, every bit of it, you know, with all the hopelessness, you know, your guy will get to that point. Like, I don't, day I don't six. think we're going to get one. <laughs> day six. What are we doing here? Maybe we should go home. You know? Yeah. And you have to kind of walk yourself through that mentally. Like, okay, what have we learned so far? You know, kind of try to glean some like little tidbits of information, like that was good out of the last crappy six days. Okay. Okay trying to find a positive, trying to find that silver lining. And, and, uh, you, you'll get there. And I, I'll hold that. I'll hold that hope the last hour of the last day. And like, okay, it's going to turn around any second. And I've had, I've had it not turn around, you know, more than once. And I've had it turn around several times on the last day in the last, the last few hours of light. So you just have to, you have to know that's part of the process. We just got to get dig through it and accept it and try to enjoy all the, all the rest of the hunt, you know, all the little things, you know, the bugs and the trees and the birds and the bees and the, your buddies and, and just the whole experience. You know, I think we get fixated on the end result way too much 
uh, and just, you got to kind of take a deep breath, kind of lean back and look at the sky for a while. Look at this clouds go over. I don't want to sound like a hippie, but, but, but no, no, you got to totally understand it. You got to you soak it all in and take, well, if you're not taking pictures of big bulls on the ground, well, I'm taking pictures of pretty rocks and, and mountains and trees and all the neat stuff that I can take home and show my family that, that didn't get to go. So porcupines, um, wallows and rubs, man, to prove you were in the elk woods. <laughs> That's what I have to show for yeah. last year. <laughs> Got some cool the shots of porcupines, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> That's crazy. But that's, that's, those are the little golden nuggets, you know, that you get to bring back. Sometimes you don't get bring back any meat, but you get to bring back all those golden nuggets and be like, then I bet all this year you've been looking back at those pictures and remembering and thinking about them. And it's just making you want to go more this year. Oh man. I'm so, I, you know, I can't even look at, I'll watch my, I made a little self film video of that wild trip and man, I enjoyed the piss out of that, but nothing, nothing like, last year in Colorado and getting beat. And it was funny because, you know, talking about, you know, enjoying all that, we were, we were going, man. And day six, my, my son was with me and day six, man, I was just beat. I, I, he had first shot at a bull and I was just mentally, I was beat up. I couldn't figure out why I couldn't put it together. Um, we had, the first four days, man, we had fresh rubs, scat, track, everything. I mean, just, it was like, man, we are in, we are in the stomping grounds. This is going to happen. Fresh wallows. By day five, everything was just bone dry. It was just like everything had dried up. The rubs were, you know, weren't popping up. And it was just like, what do we do? And I said, you know what? Up in elevation, just trying to figure it out. So we made the climb. We were about 78, 7,600 and went up to about 10,000 and uh, it was even worse up there and we're up on the top man and sitting there and I was just beat I was you know you get to that point where you're borderline throwing in the towel mentally and I knew I couldn't because my boy was there and he looks at me and he's smiling and he's looking around he's smiling he's looking around he's like what's wrong and I'm like man just you know it's on me right now and he looks over at me he goes dad we just did that and I go what he goes we just did that we just climbed that whole GD mountain and I, yeah. I stopped and I thought about it. I'm like, dude, this 17 year old just checked me. Like I've been hunting for 20 plus years and it took him <laughs> to bring me back to reality. And after that, it was just like, all right, just full on grind for the next few days. Um, still yep. didn't turn up shit, but <laughs> it, it, brought, it brought me back to reality. Put it all back in perspective on why that stuff is so important. Absolutely. So information overload, man, that is so as a as a new elk hunter, um, that's hard. Uh, it's one of the hardest things to meander through. Um, you know, the, the sex appeal is the videos we see. I'm not a, a YouTube guy. That's not how I broke in on hunting or how I, you know, got my feet wet in any aspect of hunting. But when it comes to elk, it's it, to me, it's a different game. You know, the videos, yeah, it's sex appeal, but how do we, how do we, not even the new guys, but how do you meander? How do you start to decide like this is, 
Is it is this my approach or how do you get through that information overload? How do you bring all that together? And I, and matter of fact, I know you're working on something to kind of do that. Um, I heard on Jim's podcast uh, with the collective, yeah. the L Collective. So talk yeah. about that information overload and then talk about the L Collective, because I'm curious about that, too. I already signed up on it, by the way, on the website. There. Awesome. Awesome. So, yeah, that information overload, it's tough because. You've got a lot of different folks, different guys sharing their take on how to do it. Um, I was just talking to Chris Rowe tonight and uh, on a phone call. And, you know, he he looks at elk hunting quite a bit differently than I do. We may not agree on all aspects, but there are some commonalities we do agree upon. And I think that's that's kind of one thing you know for for new folks that are getting into elk hunting is to to listen to everybody devour it chew on it find the commonalities what what's that common thread between all of them okay because i listen to a lot of elk elk podcasts and i talk to a lot of elk people and a lot of guys that are just elk killers and i just i'm because i'm always trying to learn i'm not I'm not so conceited to think that I know everything. I'm I'm still learning. I want to get better. I want to I want this to work out every better, even better every year. And I'm sorry to me cut I you off. That, I'm gonna cut you off. That just for everyone. That's a PSA. That's Dirk Durham saying he's still learning, folks. Okay, go ahead. Sorry. I'm Dirk. still learning. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but take all those and you're gonna find a commonality between what I tell you, what Ryan Lampers tells you what Chris Rowe tells you, what Jason Phelps tells you, what Dan Staten tells you. You're going to hear all these different people, these different characters, and they, they're all going to do it a little different. We're all going to have the same, a little different idea what elk hunting, how it all works, but there'll be some common threads throughout that. And then, um, then you have to kind of de- decide what it's all. I don't know. You remember when you were a kid and they had those choose your own adventure books? Mm-hmm. Remember that? So you start the book, you know, it's like, all right, you, you start out and what you do you want to go through the door or do you want to go through the swamp or do you want to do this? You have to kind of maybe make up in your mind, what kind of a hunt am I looking for? Am I looking for a wilderness backcountry hunt? Am I looking for this? Am I might just, I want a trophy bull. Do I want to, do I just want to tag out any legal elk? Okay. You start, you got to start setting these setting yourself up like, okay, this, these are my constants. This is what I want to try to achieve. Now for my abilities right now, right today, what, what can I do to, to get that kind of a hunt with all the information in front of me? Maybe, maybe you, you're just taking up elk hunting two weeks before elk season and you stink. You stink at elk calling. You Got can't it. do it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Maybe you got it done. Or maybe like, okay, well, maybe one of these other, maybe a spot and stock. You know, there's a lot of guys that they don't do much calling at all. Maybe they'll get a bull to, they'll rip a big bugle off of a Terminator tube and, and get a bull to answer. And, and then they'll, they'll shadow the herd and, and sneak along until the right time. Maybe they set wallows. Um, I got a buddy, uh, Chris Pasqua, he, he'll set up a, a stinking blind and sit in a freaking blind all day waiting for a, a bull to come in. I mean, who, who can do that? But it works. The guy shoots some big bulls that way. I can't do it. But, but so you kind of got to look at, you know, maybe what, what, what are your means? What are, what's your physical abilities? What are your, 
You know, are you good at navigating the backcountry? Have you never set foot in the national forest? Try to kind of define those boundaries and then take a little bit of everybody's ideas and try to formulate, okay, I think maybe I'll start using maybe some of these tactics and try that until it either works or doesn't. Maybe I'll try some of these. So you just kind of have to do a little sampling, I think. And I, I'll tell you, I still, I sample all of my own techniques. I sample a lot of other people's because I listen to different people say, oh, you know, there's this, there's this silver bullet of an elk call. You, you blow this certain call it, every time the elk come running in. But um, I'm still trying to figure out what that call is. <laughs> my I, haven't, ass. I, haven't been able to, yeah, I haven't been able to make one of those yet. But, uh, but and then just understand the process of like, yeah, it's going to suck. And, and I'm going to, I'm going to get lucky. Some guys get lucky right off the bat. I'd rather be lucky than good any day. So, yeah. And I, so that goes two ways, right? I, like I said, that, that early elk hunter getting lucky is great, but it fills your head with all kind of malarkey. Um, yeah, it does. It, yeah. It, it's, <laughs> <laughs> you're not prepared for what's about to ensue if it hooks you. Um, yeah. Because the suck that follows that is is unbelievable so i didn't i didn't really tell you that story um i'll I'll send you my youtube link so you could see it but so first morning i don't know man 45 minutes uh of sun up bull comes in a nice five comes in it's my first bull he was you know 500 inch five point (laughs) it might as well have been (laughs) comes in he was as close as 12 yards kind of backs in send the arrow it was a little bit high a little bit back but it was a lethal shot um we tracked him blood dried up elk are tough sobs and what it appeared as he had dropped down the drainage went to the other side so we spent time across this drainage looking 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 um Decided to pull out, got dark, went back, um, did the same kind of, you know, started from where I shot it, followed it again, led us to the same point. And uh, we decided to sit up and just start looking for, you know, crows, magpies, whatnot, and seeing, you know, if that uh, led us to them because it was the next day. And and sure as shit, man, magpies flying out. Well, let's go that way and walked over. And uh, yeah, man, he was totally stripped out, um, undercut branches. Somebody beat us to him. And uh, man, ah. took the, the problem. The hardest part for me, I mean, that when I first walked up was was just a punch in the throat, right? But the hardest part was to see the poach job. That I can't even call it a butchering job. The poach job that they did and the waste that they left on it. And there was nothing wow. with the magpies all over it, right? It's just shit on and was nothing that we could really salvage uh, no. Salvage from it. It was, uh, that was rough, man. But it was, it was an eye opener, but it was also a detriment um, to my expectation. Um and seeing that guy screaming, I mean, he came in charging just with, from the oh, first man. bugle we heard. I mean, he just beelined. And you know what he ended up doing is he went, the loop he took, took him, and I'm, I'm making a hell of an assumption, but the loop he took where we found him was probably where he was bedding down. Um because as the oh, crow flies yeah. and, and, you know, looking at looking at the map and the pin drops, uh, he was about exactly where we heard, first heard him start bugling off of us. And I'm going to say it was about 300 yards away um, from where I yeah. arrowed him at. But, man, you want to talk about uh, a painful situation. Um, 
I don't know if there's oh, yeah. anything worse in the woods, man. Yeah, that's hard to recover from. That's a rough one. So I digress. Um, the Elk Collective, talk about that because I brought it up and I don't want to lose sight of that because I think that's going to be huge. Yeah, so <clears throat> the Elk Collective is a collective of uh, subject matter experts. You know, guys kind of stay in their own lane. Um, I'm going to talk about my style of elk hunting. Um, I'm doing this collaboration with uh, Jason Phelps. I'm doing it with Dan State, and I'm doing it with John Gabriel. Um, and then also we're going to reach out to a lot of subject, subject matter experts. A lot of people, a lot of these elk killing guys that maybe some of your, um, some of your uh, uh, listeners would know some they've probably never heard of. But uh, we want to kind of get everybody's kind of little take on how they're doing elk, you know. And, and that way it's a, an excellent learning resource. Um, and the, I kind of go back to that whole, that, that, that line of commonality. There's going to be a lot of, a lot of little things that you'll start turning up, I think, in everybody's process. And it'll be, you know, maybe it's completely night and day difference. Maybe it's the spot and stock guy versus the guy that does all the bugling all the time. But in the end, um, you're, you're, you're probably be like, oh, yeah, but these guys do the same thing, that, this one thing the same, you know. So uh, we're excited to share that with everyone and, and give everybody a new tool to, to, uh, to, to use. And you can't have too many arrows in your quiver, right? No, absolutely not. And to be able to chew on that in the same place, I think, is what I've been talking about is, you know, that, that overload. I think that'll help bring that in some um so it's not so much of an overload you're able to hear you know i don't you know those 10 guys and go oh you know wow i think it'll just put it together it'll be more seamless instead of trying to figure it yeah. out and like you're saying those commonalities will stand out more with that with that one platform yeah and we're still you know we're still building this thing you know we've got a lot of it built up already we've, we've been working the last few months you know working on this project and we're still building and we have a landing page it's www.theelkcollective.com and you can go there you can sign up with your email and then you can tell us what you want to learn about um we have an idea what folks want to learn but you'll, you'll probably be blown away there's a lot of people that want to learn about you know this or that um especially i think a lot of a lot of us who have been hunting for years and years and years i think we make a lot of assumptions and and a lot of, you know, we take things for granted that there's a lot of folks that are new um, that they don't know that they've never heard these. They've never heard these things before. So we want, you know, them to tell us, you know, what are you interested in? What do you want to hear about? So um, that way it'll be interactive with our with our subscribers. Yeah, there was a I think there's like a little questionnaire when you get on there and sign up and then there's probably a dozen or so little check boxes that ask, yeah. um, you know, what it is. Can you throw a other box in there? Have them throw a other box. Oh yeah. Yeah. Other, and then fill in the blank. That'd be good. Yeah, I'll have to have John do that. He's I'll, a web guy. I'll have so. to sign up again so I can throw my others in. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's a good idea. In that line, common misconceptions when it comes to elk hunting, and I think we've touched on them, but I want to hear, I want to hear it from uh, the bugler. Common misconceptions in elk hunting. We already know that bulls running in is all bullshit every time. Yeah. 
Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> Very unless you're on a Primos video, right? <laughs> I, I will get. I will guarantee you those Primos guys probably have a lot of film of of dead time, and you know they got a you know the target rich environment where they're hunting. But but that's elk on Matt. You got to have some some crap with the good too. So um, you know, I think a lot of misconceptions are uh, well. One of them is with new hunters or even there's guys that have been doing it for a lot of years. Um, don't be too aggressive. And when I mean aggressive, I mean, not necessarily reckless, but, but kind of being like old Kenny Rogers, the gambler, you know, knowing when to hold them and knowing when to hold them. Um, you gotta, at a certain time, it's okay to be, to hold back and wait and hold back and wait. But when opportunity knocks, that's when you need to make your move. And I think maybe some people don't know when that opportunity is knocking. Um, we hear a lot of stories, you know, guys um, explain different stories of like hangups, you know, man, I did something wrong. I, you know, the bull, the bull hang, hung up. Um, I remember whenever I very first started elk hunting, reading a book, I think Dwight, she wrote it about calling elk and, and he had a whole huge chapter about hangups and elk have been hanging up since the dawn of time. I think elk hang up on elk. Uh, honestly, I think it's part of the process of how they interact and get together and decide if they want to fight or not. So a lot of guys, I think they, the misconception is like, well, the bull hung up, I did something wrong. <clears throat> you may not have done anything wrong. He's just an elk being an elk. But when he hangs up, there's a couple things involved. Maybe you didn't set up, in the right spot where he can see a long ways and he can't see any elk. So he's going to hang up and be like, Nope, I don't see elk. I'm going to look around here until I find one. Or maybe he's hung up thinking, well, I went, I've came this far. It's your turn. It's your turn to move. Uh, it's your move guy. Come up and show yourself. And a lot of times by, if they hung, if they're hung up a, a while, if you, if you move up a bit, and kind of give them that little bit of leap of faith, they, they will come out and show themselves. So I think there's those kind of misconceptions. There's, there's a misconception that you, you're, you're bugling too much. You, less is more. Don't ever call, hardly ever call. I, I've known guys who will walk out in the woods. They'll, they'll get out of their truck. They'll hike for an hour. They'll make a couple little light calls, hike for another hour. Make another couple like little light calls. I circle back around and get in the truck and leave. You don't want to overcall. You don't want to overcall and you know educate them. But and I and I admit there there's there's time there's a time and a place for everything. You can overcall. There's a and you can sure as heck can undercall too. Um, if you've if you've been around elk very long or someday after you've had quite a bit of experience around elk, you'll find when elk are hot, when bulls are hot and pissed. They'll bugle every five, 10 seconds. I've, they'll, they'll bugle out a big breath and then take three steps and do it again sometimes. So they don't do it all the time though. I, and I guess it's, it's knowing when the right time is to do that and when the right, <laughs> the wrong time to do that is. So that's, that's where all this big, that's a pretty big learning curve. And I think with the, the L Collective, I think with all the different guys um, talking about it, they're, they're going to kind of, maybe cut down on that learning curve again a little bit and kind of give some people some, some ideas and maybe dispel some myths or, 
or if what maybe they assumed or uh, about elk hunting. Yeah, I, I can't wait to see that unfold. And then you had said new guys a couple times, and I I would agree with you on on the new guy approach, but I think it's the call it those mid-level guys they're the most dangerous um when it comes to expectations and setting themselves up for failure if you will um because we you you got enough knowledge to be dangerous but not enough to really be a killer (laughs) i guess sorry mid-level guys right um right and it's a really it's a really and i learned that in you know my years of deer hunting and you know when hunting pigs and i'm not going to even begin to think i'm a mid-ground elk hunter at this point but i think that middle ground man is is probably man that's i don't want to say unsafe but it it almost gives a false sense of security um because you, you yeah. got whatever that mid-level guy or mid-ground guy is, right? Four, five, six years under your belt. He's consumed every bit of, you know, your videos and born and raised and whoever else is out there. And now this son of a bitch is a subject matter expert ready for the collect, for the L Collective. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, it's funny because I talked to a lot of uh, guys about elk hunting, guys, girls, um, but like, of these sportsman shows especially and and you'll have some guy that's only been hunting like one or two years and he'll talk about maybe frustrations hunting with his mentor you know a guy that's been doing it five six years and the new guy is like well hey have you ever thought of trying this no no you can't do that his buddy tells him hey maybe we should do this i saw or i read or i I watched a video maybe we should try this and the other guy's like nope nope that's not the way it works you know, and so I, I think you're kind of right. There's that, that middle ground is, is a slippery slope to where people build a little confidence in their knowledge and they think, all right, well, I know what I'm doing now. I'm going to go out and I'm going to do this because I know I've, I've heard it works or I've, I've had a, I've had a taste of success. Maybe they've gotten a note once or twice. Um, but then they get stuck in that rut of, well, this is cut and dried how elk is, um, I want to go back to what I said earlier about I'm always learning, right? Exactly. I'm always trying to pick up stuff. Um, if if you, yeah, if you if you stop learning, um, you're going to get stagnant because every hunt's different. Every single time, you you'll get some similar hunts and similar similar call-ins, but they're all different. And if you can learn to adapt and and learn to like learn all the time then you're gonna you'll be way better off yeah you and and i don't think i mean just from my limited experience and i keep saying that but i don't think that that stagnant mid-ground is any place to be in the elk woods man it is uh in my opinion that's that is a recipe for unnotched tags like that is the best tag soup recipe you can have because again the yeah. So dynamic that it almost doesn't make sense that they don't know the game plan that you walked in with. <laughs> like I said earlier, it's just, man, oh man, what an animal. Them sons just get me so excited. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so consumed with yeah. them, man. Yeah. And I think that maybe that tweener or mid ground guys, girls, you know, hunters, I should say, I, hate, I keep saying guys, but if there were some girls over there that say, Hey, you guys want a beer? I mean, you know, I try not to, not trying to discriminate but um the mid mid-range hunters that have been you got some some years under the belt but not a lot i'm sorry you know, man but sometimes why, get, we, we i'm sorry we have to be so goddamn pc <laughs> i know i know i don't want you to get any naughty emails you guys are sexist 
but Sorry about uh, that. yeah, it's all right. So they, um, I kind of lost my train of thought. <laughs> yeah, it's <was> my fault, <laughs> man. Um, anyway, that's a pretty comfortable place to be a lot of times, you know, that five, six, seven year mark where you've, you've got some season under your belt, taste a little success, kind of got her figured out and people get comfortable. And if you're comfortable elk hunting, I think you're setting yourself up for a disaster. If you are a little uncomfortable and you have to try new things and you feel like you don't know a lot and you're content, continuously learning that that's where you want to be. Cause then you're not, you get comfortable, you get in a rut, then you start wondering why, man, I, I go to the same old spot every year and there's lots of elk there, but now there's not anymore. And now what do I do? And it's just, it's just a bad place to be. They brought up a couple of things there. So that, so for me, like I have, you know, I have a couple of vendettas now, Wyoming being the main one um, and not so much the elk, but because of that situation, but you know, I'm stacking vendettas, man. <laughs> I was planning to go to Oregon oh, this year yeah. and, and actually with Oregon, with, with this COVID thing is kind of, they've kind of thwarted that. Right. Because I don't know. I was nervous. They, they shut all the non-res stuff down. So I went ahead and, uh, well, of course I applied to Wyo, but went ahead and applied to Colorado. Um, but man, how many vendettas can you carry? At least for me, right? Like I have to go, I have to go pay those Oakwoods back before I can move on. Right. I, I can't, <laughs> I can't likely move on to another state unless I'm not drawn like Wyo. Right. I didn't want to go anywhere, but Wyoming last year I put in for Wyo deny me went in for the leftover draw denied me. So Colorado it was, um, but man, you could have a whole lot of vendettas sitting around um, trying to seal the deal in all those places. I got a whole suitcase of them for Wyoming. <laughs> Wyoming. Man, talk about I I don't know there's something about Wyoming in my head that's just it's just a magical place, man. It is uh I mean anywhere you go in in the woods, right? Whether it's deer hunting or elk hunting, bear hunting is is just beauty, right? The the it sounds cliché as hell. Awe and majesty of it all, but there's something yeah. very special about flipping Wyoming, man, that is just it's next level. It is. It is. You know, I, I, I was born and raised in a beautiful area here in North Idaho. It's, it's spectacular. Um, but man, I love going to new States like Wyoming every time I just, I'm in awe. It's a different kind of pretty. I mean, you can say, Oh, it's beautiful, but it's a different kind of beautiful. Um, you go to the, you go to the desert, you get it like down in Utah and see all the painted rocks and you know, all the reds and the yellows and, that's a different kind of pretty too. And I, I love that. So, um, I think anybody that, that gets out, no matter where they call home or no matter where they like to hunt elk, I think, you know, they have that special place in their heart for those beautiful vistas. Um, and that, and that there again, that's why I got to be elk hunting every year, whether I've, I got a tag or if I'm going with a buddy, I, I want to see the, the fall colors and I want to see those beautiful peaks and I want to see the rivers and the creeks and, everything that goes with it. That's just a September, man. Slosh around in the wallows as you walk through it, man, there's nothing, <laughs> there's nothing like it. You know, we just yep. put in for our tags here and, uh, man, I've been chasing this buck for a couple years now and he's, and I got to kill him archery. I could have taken him with a rifle, but he just one of those animals. And, uh, 
as excited as I've been chasing that deer, man, and knowing he made it through, elk just has me on a different level. And I'm like, yeah, go ahead and chase him. But man, September is still my focus. <laughs> yep. It's, yep. It's nuts. So tempering your expectations. Um, that's something that I learned. And uh, talking about this, that's it's a hard lesson, right? Um, but it's a very important lesson is to walk in there, understanding that you're going to walk out empty handed. Chances are. Yeah. What uh, do you temper or you just go Dirk, you're going in and you're not coming out without it. I, I, I plan for the worst and hope for the best. <laughs> Easy answer, man. Cause a lot of it, yeah, right. Is, yeah. As we look on the outside, right. You know, again, being a, being a fan of Dirk Durham um, or Jason or, you know, the born and raised guys, whoever it is. A lot of, a lot, all oh, those guys, you know, they get to spend 55 days in the elk woods a year. Um, you know, you get a lot of that. And I, as I've done the podcast and I've talked to folks and you're exposed and around it and you realize, yeah, there's, there's probably more time in the woods, but it's not, it's not a hundred days in elk season. I don't care where the hell you're at, right? It's pretty yeah. much 30, you know, sometimes in some instances, 28 days and you guys aren't spending every bit of that time in the woods. So there has to be a level of, a level of tempering your expectations to what you have in front of you. Um, and then, like you said, just getting after it. Yeah. And I go in with a big, uh, with a pretty good level of confidence. My level of confidence is if I hear bulls bugle, I kind of always say, if I can hear him bugle three times, we're going to call him in. If not, at least see him, if not shoot him. Um, and that's not, arrogance that's confidence i just i know i played the game I, I should be able to push that thing's buttons until we at least get to see him or maybe it's brushy country and we we don't ever get to see him he's 40 yards away and you can't still see him but he'll be he'll be close um but with that mindset on every bugle it gets you up and down the hill um now the reality of it is yeah, we get out of maybe 10 bugles, you might get one or two that come in close enough for a shot or that you even see. So, um, but it's just having, you know, that level of confidence to, to carry you kind of through there. Um, I don't know. I think, I think if you, if you kind of set yourself up and, and don't have that confidence and say, well, I'm probably not going to get one. I'm not going to see no elk. I'm not going to hear one bugle. If you kind of, if you play on the backside, like you're not going to be successful, then I think people kind of try a little less hard. Um, I know, I think I probably would. Um, so it's just having that positive mindset and confidence that, you know, you're going to make it happen, whatever, whatever it takes, you're going to, you're going <laughs> to, you're going to make it happen. It seems like that positive mindset just it kind of carries you through where the other one wouldn't in some of that country that's the only choice you have because you're not going to make it down one side and up the other with a negative because it's going to be too hard to get that other side oh yeah yeah i got a buddy that just i love him to death but you know he's negative he'll be oh well that's a way too brushy we don't you don't want to go up there it's way too brushy we're never going to see him anyway well there's always a chance <laughs> I don't, 
I don't care how 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 the stack odds are stacked against me. A lot of times, um, there's still a chance he may walk out at five feet, and if that's too brushy, except for that five feet, he may walk right into that five feet, and I'll shoot him. Um, maybe not, but at least I'm. What's the other option? I don't have any other elf bugling right now. Well, the I might other as well option, go chase him around. Yeah, the other option is to walk, is to walk the other way around, and at the end of that hunt, wonder if you should have went that way. Oh yeah, that's that is the worst of of the, <laughs> the scenarios right there, man. Because that regret is that lasts a year. Well, I can tell you right now, um, I cannot remember. Thinking back, I can I cannot remember where I can say, man, I really regret going after that bugle. But I can remember the ones I regret that I didn't go after that bugle. I should have I should have just went after it. I, I I have a I have some of those. I mean, I'm not going to sit here and blow smoke up your ass to say that <laughs> Dirk Durham's perfect and walk doesn't walks on water. You know, I've you know I've I've had hard times over the years too, given up at certain points and. No, I'm not going to go do it. You know, the odds are stacked against me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I should have just went. I mean, so. September to September is a mofo, man, when you're looking back on it like that. I mean, that is. uh, Yeah. It makes that 12 months seem like an eternity. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, yeah. So what are what are the buglers top three, man? The top three tips, tactics, strategies, whatever you want to call them. What are the top three? Um, I think we've kind of covered them a lot, you know, uh, confidence, confidence kills, you know, <clears throat> have that confident, positive mindset, go out there and say, okay, I'm, I know this is going to work, especially in your calling. <clears throat> I've hunted with guys, they'll, they'll get out their tube. I'm like, well, why don't, I'll let, why don't you call? I'll let you do the calling and they'll, they'll start bugling and they're just like, ah, oh, that, that sounds terrible. I, I, I don't want to do it, but. It actually doesn't sound horrible, <clears throat> but be confident. If that's what you got, be confident that, okay, I'm going to make this work. So whatever process that is, you know, whether you bugle and hike and bugle and hike and bugle and hike, or if you're going to do the cold call or you have to, you have to set up with confidence that like something's going to happen. Like that cold call we talked about. If you're not confident, your setup's going to happen. You're going to get tired. Your leg's going to fall asleep. Your foot's going to fall asleep. You're going to sit down. You're going to kneel. You're going to maybe lay down and take a nap. And bull's going to walk up. Yeah, you have to be confident asleep. that that way you're, you know, you're, you're ready to go when that, when that opportunity comes. Um, and then um, never, never quit learning, you know, don't be so proud. You can't take a little information from the next guy and be like, I kind of like the thought of that. I'm going to, I'm going to test that a little bit. I'm going to put that in my quiver and try it out this fall. You know, it, it may or may not work. May or may not, may not work on the day you tried it, but, um, always, always be learning. Um, and then probably the, the final tip is, is, is just never give up. If you give up and go home before your hunt's over, well, that, that your hunt is over and, and you never know what might've been. Um, like I said earlier, I've been, just dug through the trenches for days and not had any success. And then finally, all of a sudden everything turned and now I've covered up in bowls and had I gone home and went home to sleep in a comfortable bed and mowed the lawn and did honeydews, I wouldn't have got an elk. But 
by not giving up right to the bitter end, you're already you're already um, putting the the odds in your favor because you're in the woods. So you said, uh, you know, guys consider themselves, you know, sounding bad or whatnot. Is there, and that's one of the things that I've been struggling with, right? Is, is there a, a perfect elk sound? Um, a lot of what we hear, you know, we're watching, uh, comps and things like that. It's kind of, or we're listening to you or listening to Jason, you know, blow that is, that's on the upper echelon of calling ability. But for me, I don't, you know, listening to the elk that I've heard and, you know, pulling up on YouTube and not so much watching, you know, a hunting uh, video, but watching elk, there doesn't seem, at least in my head, that there's a perfect elk sound when you're in the woods. It seems like just about anything will work to a point if it sounds halfway believable to the elk, if I'm saying that right. Right. I think realism sometimes comes out of emotion in your call rather than lack of emotion. Um, we've all heard that same old cookie cutter, the old Doug Flutie mm -hmm. special, <laughs> but it never changes. It's the same notes over and over and over again. It never changes or, you know, the, the push, the push button call, you know, the, it's just the same call over and over again. Now, maybe use sparingly, like some guys will say, you know, don't over call, maybe use sparingly, that might work, you know, in the right situation. But if you're trying to, you know, cover a lot of ground, try to get your calls out there and your net, or if you finally get one to answer and you just keep hitting him with those same three notes over and over again, chances are that bull's going to be like, yeah, I don't, I, I'm not feeling it. I, there's, I'm not getting mad. I'm not even mad. <laughs> you know, you gotta make, you can hear the emotion in their voice from a lot of times the first time you hear them bugle, it'll be very low key. They're not, they don't want to fight. They're just saying, Hey dude, how's it going? But then as things progress and you build the heat between you and that, and everything escalates, you get to a point where, oh, wow, you you can tell that bull is pissed off and ready to come fight because you can hear the emotion in his voice. But if you, if you can't learn to call with emotion in your voice, then you're probably going to struggle no matter how good you sound. If you sound really good, but you've got that one cookie cutter call and you never put any more emotion to it or any less, you're probably going to struggle. So um, I would say err on the side of having emotional calls versus versus uh perfect perfect calls um i will say in areas <clears throat> excuse me in areas that are that are hunted a lot and there's a lot of people calling if you want to call you know the more authentic and more realistic sound of calls are going to get the bulls in better but i've heard some pretty sick sounding bulls too so <laughs> <laughs> and that was kind of my but point they, with it <laughs> Yeah, you hear a sick bull, but he comes in and you can tell he's madder than a mofo, right? <laughs> he's going to mess you up. So back to, oh yeah, yeah, just back to emotion. Hit that, hit the emotion. Yeah, because I, I thought we were calling in another hunter um, from the sound of it, you know, and we kind of discounted it like, ah, oh, man, you know that's another guy. And then, you know, you look and, Oh sh no, that's a bull. And that's kind of what made that, yeah. that switch flip for me. Like, <laughs> Oh, it, you know, doesn't mean that I need to sound like Dirk or Jason. Um, 
right some bitch came in and man he sounded you know we thought it was another bad caller (laughs) (laughs) he he sounded awful yeah yeah i've had that happen too you just you you hear one it's like god this guy i'm gonna mess i'm gonna goof with him a little bit i'm gonna mess with this guy it's not an elk it's a guy yeah and then whoa that's a freaking elk (laughs) <laughs> and I've had it. I've had that. And that's fun. I'm not going to even BS. We called a couple guys in last year and uh, you want to talk about a blast. I mean, it's kind of a screwed up thing, but it was fun yeah. <laughs> when they, yeah. they were probably a half mile off and we heard them. And so, you know, I call and it, it gets a little closer and they had, there was two of them and they were working. One would call from over here. And then a little bit later it was like, you know, they making the elk look like or sound like he's zigzagging through the woods there as he's approaching. And I'm like, you know, what the hell's going on? And as he got close, you could just hear that, that open kind of hollowy sound, that high pitched hollowy sound that the, uh, the tube makes. And, uh, man uh, yeah it was jacked up but man we probably messed with him for a good 20 25 minutes and we just sat there just laughing and laughing it was a good time <laughs> oh yeah i won't i won't i won't lie i've i've had some fun with doug flutie over the years but you know darn it i probably <laughs> but i think you know i've 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 been suckered a couple times too, so I guess that was my my payback. Yeah, the leveler. So, hey, man, uh, because I hit Jason on it at the show, man, in Utah there. And since you're the director of sales and marketing, and nobody else can see this, but I can. So, this this was my go to until this, man. Oh, and you, (laughs) I got I got a bunch of them sitting here. Um, but man battle these out the pink thing i think you've won the pink the pink versus red um and that uh so you'll only you only use the red call or have you have you blown on that uh that pitch black at all well, i've blown on them yeah because like i'll uh i got i use all the calls at the shows um to demonstrate them for customers they want to hear how the different uh, nuances of sounds or maybe i'm doing a, some training with some of our vendors um they want to hear the different different sounds and it's hard because it's hard for me to make them sound any different because I have my way of bugling. So they all kind of sound the same, but some, there's some very slight differences, um, for me, um, in, in, in all of them versus like the Maverick, which I like, and just for my style and what I do, I just, I like the tone and, and how it, how it responds to the different calls I'm trying to make. But uh, like that pitch black number two, that's that thing's pretty popular. Man, a lot of people love that thing. I love that call. I will. I will say that that your call is probably one of the easiest to use when you talk about the different calls and the tonal qualities. Um, it, it just fits the bill on so many levels. Um, I tried. I haven't used. I haven't even tried to use Jason's, um, but I tried. Uh, the new uh, Charlie Smith call. And, oh, yeah. and I can't, for whatever reason, man, I can't, I could barely use it. I'm not sure why. Yeah, you gotta, it's a really thick latex. It's quite a bit thicker latex than the Maverick is and a little tighter stretch. You gotta have lungs like a dang gorilla to blow that thing. Um, the first ones, the, the generation ones um, were a, a two, two layers of latex um, and then the Gen 2s, they're just a single heavy la- layer of latex. Now, I can blow on that thing a bit, but, man, I about see stars <laughs> tooting on that. But, yeah, you really you have to some, put it to it. Yeah, I have to really blow hard on that thing to get her to go. 
But uh, but on cow calls, you can kind of get a little you can get a little deeper cow call out of it. I found so more of a mature type cow sound out of the Charlie Charlie's call. Um, but I think it's a lot more user friendly now that it's a single. And there's some guys out there that are they blow pretty damn hard and they'll tear up they'll even tear up a Maverick. So I think uh, I think Charlie's call should be really a really good fix for those kind of guys. Yeah, because man, I and that's the problem I have, right? Is I'll put something in my mouth and and I'll go to start calling on it, and uh, with with Charlie's, I was getting kind of a kind of an airy, buzzy sound on everything, and that oh, probably yeah. has to do oh, with yeah. that latex. Um, and yep. and I just gave up, right? It was just like ah, you know. And I got that damn. I, I mean, I got <laughs> this. This thing is money, man. <laughs> you like that one? I, I yeah, that's know. a good one. I don't know what it is about Soon that call. When Jason sent me some of those prototypes of that pitch black way back here a year or two ago, when he was working on them, I'm like, it's not my cup of tea, but this is going to be a pretty good cup of tea for a lot of people. They're going to really like it because it's easy. It's easy to get the notes and it blows easy. It takes a little less air pressure than my call. Um, and you can scream with that stupid thing. The three is nice too. I, I'm more partial to the two, but the three is, yeah. I really like that three um, for my cow sounds and whatnot. But that, that okay. two man is just, uh, yeah, I think it's money. But I still got these in there. I haven't been using them much, but. <laughs> <laughs> you may have to gift those or maybe you, no. you may have to pull out all the stops and well, pull those out of your pack. Like, exactly. Okay, we're going to get serious now. Well, that's exactly why I keep them, right? Because, well, okay, so one is I overloaded on the pitch black because I was like, well, shit, they're not pushing them much, man. I don't know if these things are going to fall off if they're not, if Jason's not going to make them anymore. So I just overloaded on the purchase. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> But, you know, having having more in the quiver, I, I won't leave it to just having that one or, you know, that one three and then two number twos. Um, and that's the reason that I keep getting these things, um, because it, they're, they're super easy to use. And I think it is a bit more versatile um, than most of the calls. Yeah, but I'll keep using that, too. <laughs> <laughs> Well, man, I don't want to hold you up any longer. I know you're uh, sitting there grabbing that uh, grabbing that country Wi-Fi, man. But I uh, I appreciate the time. Thank you for uh, you know sparing it for me this evening, man. And look forward to uh, the collective, the Elk Collective. I don't want to keep calling it the collective. That'll uh, <laughs> that'll be pretty good, man. I, I I'm excited for that. Yeah, that should we're hoping to launch like uh, J- July first. So um, we if we can get our crap together, we might even. We might even launch, do like a pre-sale type thing in uh, June June 1st. So we got some work to do there, but um, it's going to be awesome. It's going to be super fun. But so far, it's been really, really fun working with Dan and, and Jason and, and John on this project. They're, they're great dudes. So Yeah, that'll uh, July 1st, wait, June, July. Oh, that gives me two months. <laughs> Come on, Dirk, get it together, man. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I need more in the quiver. You have to cram for the final. <laughs> yeah, that's about it. That is about it, man. Well, again, I appreciate it, man. Uh, it was great to finally Absolutely. chat with you. And uh, yeah, I appreciate the time. Anytime, brother. Appreciate that. Yep. Thanks a lot. Thank you. 
Thank you for listening. Follow and tag us on Instagram at Western Contours. Jump on iTunes, Google Play, and Podbean. Subscribe, leave us a comment, and don't forget to hit that five-star rating. We appreciate the support, and until next time, lay them down. We spend a lot of time preparing for our hunts, and how we fuel our efforts is key. Head over to ValleyToPeakNutrition.com, helping you perform optimally in the backcountry. The purpose of Valley to Peak is to provide sound nutritional information supported by science to help you prepare and perform optimally in the backcountry. There's no secret. This is done through education, coaching, and programming based on personal goals and preferences. Head over to ValleyToPeakNutrition.com or catch them on Instagram at V2P Nutrition.